You're listening to the Keeler 1930 podcast. Any and all unauthorised use of the material will be in breach of copyright. The Keeler 1930 podcast is a niche media production. Hello there and good afternoon. Hope you're enjoying your Sunday. Well, we traditionally try to release the podcast at midday on a Sunday, so we're sticking to it. And you're very welcome. I'm Shane O'Donoghue, and this is Podcast 21. Uh, I started to kind of add them up during the week since uh, COVID-19 and the lockdown initially. started putting podcasts together from a little home studio here in Clontarf in Dublin, on the north side. Looking out over St. Hans Park. We've had dodgy weather over the last couple of weeks, so we haven't been walking the park too much. Kind of typical Irish weather. And we get some spectacular Mays, and they kind of fritter away a little bit in June. You get, you get pockets of wonderful sunshine and some brilliant days, but in the main it gets a bit inconsistent. That's just our place on the, uh, the globe. And uh, yeah, we're experiencing quite a bit of mixed weather at the moment. But as I look out over St. Anne's Park here right now, uh, grey clouds, a few pockets of sunshine, but not much. But um, today's podcast is another little raid into the archives. And fittingly as well, too, because, well, last week saw the conclusion of the Memorial Tournament in Dublin, Ohio. Jack Nicholas and Barbara, his amazing wife, they host that tournament and have done since the mid-70s. And they raise a lot of money for the Nationwide Children's Hospital. And they've had some spectacular winners. And they present this magnificent Waterford Crystal Trophy every year to the winner. So Patrick Cantley was the defending champion. But uh, the winner this time around was John Ram, who in the space of five years has gone from world number one amateur to world number one professional. Extraordinary. And he was dominant. A little bit of a rules infraction in the final round, which is... Always a bit of a head-scratcher when these things happen, but um, he was able to cope with it. He had enough of a lead, but uh, he's had a few of these in recent years, so uh, hopefully he can uh, stop doing this. Because <laughs> he's a great player. He's the reigning Dubai Duty Free Irish Open champion, and he's going to start winning majors very soon. But Jack Nicholas, in his storied career, coming from Upper Arlington, Uh, just in the suburbs of Columbus, Ohio. He went on to win 18 professional majors. He won two U.S. amateurs, of course. And um, he was uh, the record holder at the Eisenhower Trophy for well over 50 years, until John Ram broke it, actually, uh, prior to turning pro. So they have a nice connection, the pair of them. But we will see John Ram winning majors very soon. There are three on the way, so watch out, folks. He's a man to keep an eye on. But speaking of Jack Nicholas and speaking of Upper Arlington and having been there a few times in 2011 for CNN to record a, an interview with Jason Day, who's a member of the club and lives nearby because his wife is from that area, uh, came back in 2012 to actually do a sit down with Jack and Rory McElroy during the tournament. And that was for CNN. It was their first time ever sitting down together on TV. So that was fascinating because Jack obviously is a four time US Open winner. Rory was the defending US Open champion, so we were kind of looking ahead to Olympic Club uh, a couple of weeks later. And been back a few times for different interviews and pieces. And in 2017, 
uh, I went out and worked there for the week at the tournament. And one of the first people that I came across, and I knew about this fella, but to actually meet him was a little bit special. So I straight away asked him if he wouldn't mind sitting down for a chat because he was 94 at the time. And he's one of these incredible, very special people in golf, in American sport. And he's a man by the name of Kay Kessler. So he's a very decorated journalist, but a very modest guy, a very helpful man, um, very kind, but has just had this extraordinary life in sport and sports journalism, but in particular with relation to Jack Nicholas. Why? Well, <laughs> it's amazing really to think that in 1950, he was, you know, a beat reporter with the local newspaper in Columbus, and he was sent out to Scioto Country Club uh, to interview the new pro. And the new pro was a guy called Jack Grout. And Jack Grout was giving a junior clinic. So a lot of little kids from the area had come along to get a lesson from the maestro who played on the tour, was big mates with Ben Hogan and all the greats. And here he was teaching the Unflas. And here comes Kay Kessler to cover the moment. And who's in there? Amongst all of these young lads, only a 10-year-old called Jack Nicholas, who was about to get his first lesson. And a photo was taken, and it's been seen all around the world, of this little kid, Jack Nicholas, looking up with his friends from the neighbourhood at this imposing figure of Jack Grout, bespectacled, uh, giving them a little bit of a lesson. And Kay Kessler was there. And Kay went on to cover uh, Jack Nicholas's storied career, all of his major wins, you know, on behalf of the local uh, newspaper in Columbus. And he became, you know, the O.B. Keeler, if you will, for Jack Nicholas. If O.B. Keeler was to Bob Jones, well, Kay Kessler was that to Jack Nicholas. So it was fantastic to sit down with Kay and just have some time with him. 94 years of age at the time, so this was recorded in 2017. And I just began by saying how amazing it was that he saw Jack get his first golf lesson. I actually did, Shane. He was 10 years old. Uh, he, had, uh, he was a great athlete in uh, little peewee league, things like that. He was a football player, a basketball player. Uh, but uh, his dad had his dad had broken his ankle playing um, handball, and so they told him to to repair it. He would walk the golf course at Seattle Country Club, where they lived near the course, for exercise. And so he took Jackie along with him. And Jack Grout, the head pro at Seattle, noticed them out walking in the winter time and said, "You know, Charlie, he says you ought to take that Jackie boy of yours and put him in the class we're going to start in." In uh, March, I think it was, and he said, we're going to have a bunch of kids, and he says, he'd do well. And so he, Charlie did. He put him in with Grout, and there were 30 kids, and I remember we went out and took a picture of all 30 kids, and I didn't know one from the other, and I don't think Grout did either. And But in our picture, standing beside Grout was this toe-headed kid. So three months later, they had their first tournament, and Jackie, is, uh, Grout likes to call him Jackie Boy. You know, he says, you 
you took that first picture, Cade. Maybe you'd like to come out and take a picture now or talk to the boy that just shot 51 in his first nine holes at 10 years old. I says, no, I don't want to. I'm going to give up the game. If anybody nine years old or 10 years old can shoot 51, I'm out of here. But that was the start of it all, Shane. Yeah, and uh, it just it's unbelievable how it ballooned after that because from the age 10, 11, and 12 in junior golf, he was so good that each successive year he'd move up from the 11 years old, he'd play with the 12-year-olds. And it was amazing. By the time he was 13, he finished uh, runner-up in the district amateur for all all amateur golfers. And he just amazed everybody. And, of course, the, you know the rest of the story. It's an amazing story, but those beginnings are what's so intriguing, to be honest with you, Kay. And, you know, I know you were a journalist at that time, so you were, what, 27 years of age or something in 1950 uh, or 26? Yeah, I was 27. 27. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Why did you take a photo? Why Why were you there? Well, uh, we took the photo for the paper. I mean, just for Grout was a new pro in town at a very good golf, golf course. And uh, we, he said, you know, when we get Grout introducing him to the city of Columbus and the state of Ohio, then he has this clinic and he has 30 kids. We just did it on a lark. I mean, he said, we'd never had a junior clinic in the state that I can remember. I mean, at Columbus at least. And so we well, sure, we go out. And we didn't identify any of the kids. 30 kids there and all little toeheads and so forth. But it happened to be that Nicholas was standing right beside Grout. So as it turned out later, and Grout didn't even, he didn't know their names at the time. Yeah. We didn't try to identify them. And so as I said, three months later when they had the first tournament, uh, he says, you remember the, the little boys we had out here? He says, well, Jackie Boy Nicholas is the one that shot. 51 on the front side. And Scioto Country Club, you know, has had Bob Jones one out there. It's had Ryder Cups. It's had everything. It's a great golf course. Yeah. I've had the good fortune to, to interview Jack, and uh, last year was obviously the centennial of Scioto. So right. oh, yeah. I was working there for Fox and so did a sit-down with Jack, which is like a thrill of a lifetime anytime you get kind of time with him. But, you know, it was the one thing that kind of struck me, just wandering around the club, which is a huge celebration of Jack, firstly. And so fitting and so many amazing photographs. I'm going to try and uh, throw that photo up on social media that you refer to though where Jack is a 10-year-old getting a lesson. But, you know, you, you, you look at how things line up for certain individuals and for Jack to be where he is now, it's because of so many different things. He's upbringing, the values that his parents had, um, obviously the incredible talent he had. But to grow up in a place like Soyota, to be able to walk to that golf course... Um, to be under the tutelage of Jack Grout, who was a great tour player himself and a friend. Uh, he was a good, very good tour player. Yeah, and he was a friend of Hogan and all those guys. Traveled Mangrum. with Hogan and, uh, and Sneed. Yeah, so he like he was able to bring that to the table. The fact that you said like there was a Ryder Cup there, that Bob Jones won a US Open there. Yeah. It's like, it was almost like someone was destined to thrive in that environment. That's true. They had several other golfers come out of there that were extremely good. One of them happened to be Nicholas's, one of Nicholas's friends who started helped him start this Muirfield course, Bob Hogue, yeah. who was a plus two golfer. He was that good. And he was a little older than Jack. But the state had a ton of good golfers, Shane, and uh, it just was amazing how Jack rose above all of those so that's my next question. What, like, just as a young a young kid that you then would have, have observed so closely, what what was the extra thing that he had? Was it the, was it his brain? Was it his intelligence? Was it the the way that he was brought up to be able to think in a certain way? 
I think it was perhaps mostly Charlie, his dad's fault, and his mother, not fault, credit. Yeah. Uh, his mother, Helen, was marvelous. She stayed in the background and let Charlie direct it all. He had a wonderful sister, Marilyn, and uh, that was the family. And uh, they just, Jack was so driven in all sports. I mean, as I say, as he went on to junior high and so forth, uh, before he went into the freshman class, uh, Woody Hayes, the Ohio State football coach at the time, was a friend of the family a little bit, and, and he told Charlie, he says, you know, he says, this boy shouldn't be playing football, he shouldn't be playing baseball, uh, he's, but he did play basketball, he stayed on that because it didn't conflict with the golf season. In fact, he became an all-Central Ohio player at, uh, as a guard at Grandview High School. He wasn't quite budgy then, <laughs> he got budgy after that. But, you know, uh, uh, Woody just advised Charlie, he says there's no point in risking him any injury like this when he's got such great talent. And so, and Jack, you, you asked the question, what drove, drove him? He was very dedicated. He worked, 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 worked on, uh, on the practice uh, ranges. And I remember the Sciota members, and some of them were great senior golfers themselves, Alan Rankin and John Roberts and so forth. They used to say to Charlie, or to Grout, uh, Mr. Grout, why, why do you let Jackie swing that hard? And, and Grout said, now you just don't worry about it. Jackie Boy can swing as hard as he wants to. He says, we got to let him stretch those muscles. He says, when he gets that done, he says, we'll bring him back into the form that he should be in. But Jack still had a vicious, strong swing, but not like John Daly or not like Tiger today and so forth. But uh, Jack had a great, um, marvelous way of concentrating. He was so focused. I didn't think he ever had a, a, a college, fun in college. I didn't think he enjoyed college. He did. He was a, he was a member of a fraternity. And I, but that was all very quiet. But, you know, college kids tend to do a lot of things that get in the newsprints and so forth that shouldn't. Never heard this with Jack. He, his, his devotion to the game just became incredible. I don't know what made him finally focus on that except maybe his dad, Charlie. Um, there isn't a whole lot of footage of Charlie talking. I mean, that's the one thing that I would have loved to have heard or seen. I mean, it amazes me that there isn't. Or Maybe you've come across some, have you? Well, no, he wasn't that way, Shane. What he did was, uh, we've had a lot of Harvey Knox's father, a, bit, a football player from California, just followed him everywhere. Uh, Tiger's father, Earl, was with him everywhere, and he was promoting him, and he was going to do this. And so those fathers became the figures, figureheads in this scene. Charlie never did. Charlie always followed him, uh, took him to a lot of, you know, Walker Cup things and, and uh, junior golf tournaments throughout the country, U.S. Uh, juniors. But Charlie was never forward. When they had interviews, he'd let Jack do it. He'd never be in, be in the midst of the interview. And I think that was part of it. His mother, Helen, also followed all the Jack's playing when he was young. But she'd walk about 30 yards behind, as Barbara does today, his wife Barbara. They'd walk 30 yards behind, but they always knew where Jack was. But they'd not be in the forefront. Charlie was always at the ropes right beside him, but he never made any notion. You had to know who Charlie was. I mean, you didn't know. If you didn't know who he was, you'd never find out. I mean, he just you know, melted right into the uh, galleries. Uh, you had this unique perspective, and you still have, but, like, what what was he like as a guy, Charlie? Uh, like, I am fascinated by him. Well, Charlie was a, an athlete in his own right, I mean, at, at South High School, and here in, in Columbus, and um, very, he was, he's a 
happy guy. He, he was a pharmacist, a druggist originally, and then got to a couple of pharmacies. And they were very well-to-do. I mean, they weren't uh, Mr. High Society type of people. They were just down-to-the-earth sort of folks. Charlie was full of fun. He had a gang of friends. In fact, a group of them, uh, a couple of um, merchants, of uh, grocery merchants, so forth. They would go and be Charlie's, Charlie's gang. And they'd go to the masters. They'd go to the open. They'd rent a house. And they'd spend the whole week with Jack uh, watching him in the tournament. And they'd follow him on the course. But you didn't know it. I mean, they didn't raise a lot of ruckus and, and let you know this is Jack's gang and so forth. Charlie was hilarious when Jack beat Arnold for his first, one of his first major in Oakmont. Because Charlie had a temper. I mean, he, he was a hothead. He was a, <laughs> he was a roly-poly guy. He was a nice guy. But when the fans at Oakmont started calling him Fat Jack and old Blabo and a high fats and everything. Charlie got rednecked about it. Well, the funny part about that was Woody Hayes, the Ohio State football coach, who if you know about him, was very rambunctious and was known as a guy who just raised all kinds of cane during games and officials and so forth and run up and down and berate him all the time. Charlie was, I mean, Woody was with Charlie for all 72 holes before they went into the playoff. And very calm and so forth, which is totally unlike Woody. And Charlie got rednecked when all these people yelled about Jack Fat Blab, Blabo and so forth. Woody calmed Charlie down. It was hilarious. And I was walking with most of them at the time because I was doing a lot of stuff with Woody at the time. So it was hilarious to see the way Woody reacted to Charlie. They were just totally opposites in their position. Um, I know you know this little story, but I just thought it was wonderful to um, find out that Charlie phoned Helen, his wife, after Jack won his first U.S. amateur in 1959 at the Broadmoor. And the words that he uttered were, quite simply, Helen, our son is made for greatness. Well, you know, that's where he knocked in the putt. Maybe Jack has told you this story, too. But Charlie Coe. Charlie Coe, and he knocked in that eight-foot birdie putt. And he says, then I knew. Jack said this himself, and of course Charlie knew them too. But Charlie uh, Charlie Coe was at the time probably the preeminent amateur golfer in the country, and you know he won two of the, the U.S. Amateurs. He was a mar- he may have been the best all time outside of Bobby Jones. That's not fair. I, I, I bet he was the best all time amateur after Jones, who who never turned pro. There was a lot of talk about Jackie, you know, not turning pro. Yeah, he kind of followed in that. Well, he, Charlie was. Uh, very close to Jones, introduced Bobby to his son and blah, 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 and, and kind of modeled him after Jones. And, and I think Jack at the time, he went into college, you know, as a, as a uh, pharmace, pharmaceutical. He, was in the, he got out of that and went into business and got into life insurance and so forth. But I think he imagined himself to be an amateur. He didn't, he didn't look at a – as good as he was from the time he was, let's say, 13 and 14 – until now he's out of co- or into college, I don't think he thought about a pro career. Mm. He kind of admits that you know he wanted to be the next Bobby Jones, oh, but that that he then realized that if he was going to beat the best, he'd have to turn professional and play with those guys on a regular well, basis. Well, and I don't know that Jack ever thought he was the best until he got to that point where people like myself, the writers, uh, Charlie, didn't push for. You know, a lot of these other guys are saying, oh, my son's going to do this, and my, the football players particularly, oh, my, this guy's going to be the greatest quarterback there ever was. And they don't let the kid uh, 
show his own talents. They they tell the world what he's going to do, which is really putting the honest on on him. It's it's a cross that's tough to bear. And Charlie did not do that to Jack. I think Jack, those things grew in Jack's own mind. That, well, hey, you know, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. But he was there was no braggadocio about about Jack Nicholas. And I don't think there has ever been braggadocio with with Mr. Nicholas the way that he kind of carries himself. It's like something that perhaps you could just um, develop, you know, from your own perspective, because you've 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 seen him at close quarter for so so long. Would you appreciate this that he is? extraordinarily consistent. Totally. Shane, he is, without a question of a doubt, even today, the best interview in golf. Now, I mean that. Yeah. I mean, Greg Norman, who's being honored here, was a wonderful guy. All there's great personalities throughout the world of golf. I mean, it's I love this sport. But of all the interviews going on today, Jack is the best. Even at Augusta this last year, when he's an honorary starter, Arnold, of course, is missing. But he and Gary do their player do their honorary thing they asked the two to come into the press room before the first you know the first round is just now starting there's nothing to do so they bring them into the press room jack puts on an interview in there and he just goes on and on and on and when he's done and they, and they transcribe all these interviews as you well know jack's interview was seven pages long printing out for us who couldn't keep up with the <laughs> and uh, that I think the next biggest one uh, was three and a half pages. And Jack's not even competing. He hasn't competed in the Masters since Lord yeah. knows when. But it's not just quantity. I mean, there's quality in there, really. And, I mean, I, I, he does talk such horse sense, doesn't he? I let mean, me tell you this. This is, this is really interesting. And I, I feel bad doing it because I loved Arnold so much. And, we, of course, we, we lost him. And he's a jewel. Uh, Arnold would be in there talking to you. And Arnold was a wonderful guy. Everybody loved him. He can't remember anybody's name, so everybody was Bud or Hey This or Hey That. <laughs> so Arnold would be in there, and he'd go 25 or 30 minutes, and we'd all come out, and uh, somebody said, what'd you get on Arnold? And he says, I got nothing. He says, Arnold's just a neat, nice guy that has no agenda of any kind. You talk to Jack, and you've got notes for a column that you can put in the, bar- in the barrel, in the bank and use it two weeks later. He he gives you things about the golf ball, about the style of play, about golf courses, about other golfers. Never has ever uh, cut spoken poorly of another golfer. Never that I ever heard him. All he does is praise them. But everything he has, as you mentioned earlier, there's meat to it. You could you've got something that you can file away. You you might have got a few gems in that particular day, but the rest of it you can store. And he's he, today, to, without a doubt, a much better. Well, I don't want to get into that one. I'll, I won't go into personalities. Well, there's a lot of great interviews, but none uh, who's ever been as popular or as successful as Jack is, and it comes close. We have so much to cover. I, I think this is probably going to be the first installment. So, um, Kane, how old are you now? Very, very. I'm 93. 93. And what is it like to be 93? Tickled to death, I'll tell you that right now. I mean, you're very sprightly, you're very fresh, you're, you know, agile. I mean, the mind is sharp. Quite, yeah, well, you need glasses. <laughs> you need glasses, Shane. The legs, the legs are gone. You know, I'm not, I can't even play golf. I quit golf four years ago. And, uh, you know, I, I don't have balance. But, no, it's fine. It's great. It's been a great career. I've covered golf since... Uh, 
since I got back from the war, uh, since not 47. And, of course, as they say, Jackie came along in 50, age 10. Mm. And uh, I, went, I went right to the newspaper after service. So, uh, How long were you in service? Three and a half years. Uh, so, like yesterday was Memorial Day. It's a very significant right. day in this country. How, did, how does that make you feel when, you, when you're at Memorial oh, and reflecting on Memorial Day? Uh, I didn't do a whole lot to win the war. I was overseas for two years. I had three brothers, two of whom went through all kinds of horror during the war and survived. We all four, we were very lucky. I was particularly lucky. Um, but I was proud, and I've been to I've been to Utah Beach, and all, I've been all through it all. I spent two years in in uh, England and uh, Europe, but I was doing intelligence work, and and I was not I carried a gun, never used it. Okay. So there you are, and I was never shot at. I was bombed at. <laughs> I survived a couple of bombings, but uh, uh, I was not one of your great heroes. I have no no illusions about that. But I was very proud to have done three and a half years. That's an amazing, um, just a fascinating life, really. But as we kind of wind this particular installment of the Kay Kessler tapes up, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to uh, the second installment, you know, being here at the, the memorial um, and its significance and the placement of it in the schedule and everything to do with Jack kind of conceiving this with a few people, I'm sure, and, you know, building this course. Yes. And delivering year after year and growing it with some great people. I mean, you probably dealt with the four four guys that were with him: Ivor Young, Bob Hogue, Pandel Savick, who was here. Chair met him yesterday. Pandel, yes, it's it's uh, unfortunate he's having little Alzheimer problems, but what a wonderful guy! Uh, uh, Pandel and I were in school together. He was an all uh, Rose Bowl quarterback on a championship team. Played before Woody, obviously, most a lot of people did. Wonderful guy, great friend of mine. I yeah, bought his book yesterday. Did you bid it? I got it signed and got a photo with him. Yeah. Did you get the chance to read it at all? He had an incredible life. Yeah, no, I, I will. I will finally get stuck into that. I think on the airplane back home to Dublin. But he um, came from Czechoslovakia. Yeah, uh, um, wherever it was, on his own, solo, nine-year-old boy, seven-year-old. I'm sorry, I guess it was, and um, became. He told, he talks now today. I was with him for dinner Sunday night, and uh, people are coming up. He was attracting more people at the fair here at Sunday night than Jack did. But a lot of people kind of a little ouchy about going up to Jack. I mean, a lot these all know him, but I mean they just kind of give him a little space. Uh, panel, they just couldn't stay away from him, and he was kind of in the in the. But he's it, such an impressive voice as well, though, doesn't he? Well, he oh, yeah, and he. And as we took him to his car, this is a Sunday evening after the affair, he says, you know, and he didn't know my, he couldn't tell you my name for, for to help him. He says, uh, you know, I says, I, I've just had a great life. He says, you know, I, I survived a war. He says, I feel bad about the Marine buddies that I knew, and he started to name them. He can, rem he can remember those. Mm. But he says, I survived a war. I didn't get shot up, he says. I made a lot of money. He says, I've had a great life. He's got nothing to complain about. And everybody that came up to him Sunday night and talked to him, he smiled up and, oh, good to see you and everything. And a lot of people who have the Alzheimer problems and so forth get kind of down in the dumps or depressed and moody. And, and you don't, they don't have any spark. Well, they haven't. And <laughs> he, he sat there a year ago, and Jack 
Jackie Nicholas, the son, who's the chairman now here, came and sat down and joined us, and we talked. They kidded each other back and forth, and and uh, they talked for maybe three or four minutes, and and then somebody came and took Jackie and went somewhere went away, and and Valence turns to me and says, "Who was that?" I says, "Come on, panel, <laughs> you know who that was." And he said, "Yeah, I do." But what a guy, yeah. But the tournament, as we finish, you know where it's come from. You know those early days to where it is now, forty-two years later. What do you think when you you know see May arriving and the Memorial Day and then obviously the the tournament that follows? Oh, it's amazing. You know, I've seen. I, I like to say I've seen them all. I haven't. I missed one, but I did follow it up by seeing the the uh, President's Cup that fall. So I actually I've, I've been here all forty two years. They've had tournaments. Well, I walked the course when uh, Panel and Ivor Young and Hogue and Ed Etzel was the Green Superintendent and so forth. And Tom Weisskopf happened to be along. We were all walking the course, and it wasn't even it was plotted and you know laid out. But they were just now routing it with with the bulldozers and so forth. That was fun. It it has created um, an extraordinary uh, development in this whole region, hasn't it? Well, I think that the city of Dublin, the village of Dublin, uh, I don't think it was totally because of this. And on the other hand, it very well might have been because this was at the time the northernmost end of this of the village of Dublin. Dublin now is a just gorgeous, lovely place. To, in fact, as I, I heard some news the other day of the top ten cities to, to, or places to live in, in Ohio, Dublin, Ohio, was one of them. And Dublin at the time was just a little kind of a suburb uh, of Columbus. Nobody really knew where Dublin was, even in Columbus. Mm-hmm. And now it's uh, it's just and gorgeous homes. You know, you have driven around it and you've seen it. It's just a, And I think it's all, you can just lay it on Jack's shoulders. I think the, what they've done here, what, and they've done this first class from the very first day. I mean, even from the point when they were digging it in, and some of the people around here probably wondered what was going on, you know, and they say, gee, what's the, they're going to disrupt our whole area. No, they didn't disrupt it. They made it explode into some magnificent homes up here. Very good point. And just one final observation as someone, you know, who's been at the tournament before but not for very long, so this is kind of the longest stretch. And knowing how the Nicholas companies operate and the people who are working within and also those who work at this tournament, um, if you're if you're not 100 percent or you're not committed to the cause, you'll get smoked out very quickly, and you won't you won't be kind of part of the team going forward. Well, that's what they've done so much for the city of Columbus, but it isn't just this. They've done it for for the state of Colorado too. I mean, yeah, Colorado, Ohio. What they've done for the hospitals and the charities are um, unimaginable. It's just been tremendous and nationwide, and that's not even hospitals and so forth. But what they've given back. To the to the to the states of both Ohio and I think the other places too, but it's been Florida and Ohio. It's just unbelievable. Well, it's been fascinating to sit with you, Kay Kessler. Um, we will get into the fact that you got engaged in Dublin, Ireland. I did that some years ago, and I've been back many times since. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> There's a great Dublin connection here. As I say, thank you very much, Kay. A pleasure to sit with you. I look forward to our next installment. No, it's my honour, Shane. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for your time. And here's to a wonderful 42nd edition of the Memorial Tournament presented by Nationwide Kay Kessler. Thank you. Thank you, Shane. Good. You're listening to the Keeler 1930 podcast. Any and all unauthorised use of the material will be in breach of copyright. The Keeler 1930 podcast is a niche media production.